Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, daughter, wife, mother, licensed marriage and family therapist, and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Fewer tasks are more stressful than becoming a caregiver to a family member who is suffering. We can become caregivers at any time in our lives, from our early teens all the way out to our senior years. And rarely, if ever, are we prepared for the challenges this presents. With normal stage of life stressors occurring, the addition of becoming a caregiver is mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausting. Caregiver burnout rates are high and well-documented, and especially when we become a caregiver to those who have cared for us for so long. The grief and trauma we may experience can be devastating. To help us navigate this difficult conversation and understand how best we can prepare, we have with us Tracy Brown, Executive Director of Amazing Place, a faith-based nonprofit organization focusing on empowering lives disrupted by dementia. Tracy grew up in Chicago and Houston and graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. 16 years ago, she joined Amazing Place after a career in advertising and publishing and many years in nonprofit volunteer leadership. During her tenure, she has led the organization through a $7 million campaign, Building for Generations, which enabled the organization to build their state-of-the-art day program specifically designed for adults with mild to moderate dementia and is currently in the midst of a second campaign, the $15 million Amazing Together campaign, which will allow the organization to expand to a second location in the West Houston Katy area. Her passion for supporting adults with dementia and their families comes from her own family experiences. Her maternal grandmother suffered for many years with the disease and she watched her highly successful and energetic grandfather endure tremendous stress as her primary caregiver, eventually suffering a fatal heart attack. Six years ago, Tracy lost her father and her mother, now 90, moved into their home. Just as her youngest son finished his freshman year in college and returned home for the summer. Four years ago, her mother was diagnosed with dementia and multiple myeloma. As a family, they are cherishing each day and learning the precious value and wonderful blessings of intergenerational living. Welcome, Tracy, and thank you for joining us today. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. I was hoping we could start with just having you share a little about yourself. How did you end up in the field of caregiving? Oh, thank you, Tracy. It's just a delight to be here with another Tracy. And I will tell you that as I think about my role to caregiving, I I always think of it as very providential. I certainly, my background is marketing and advertising. I have no professional education or professional experience in caregiving until I got to this role 16 years ago. And um, I found my way to amazing place through friends. And um, it has been such a remarkable journey. And after 10 years of of doing this professionally, I 
became a caregiver for both of my parents. And so uh, it is wonderful to be a caregiver surrounded by experts. And I learn every day from my colleagues and friends about caregiving. And um, so it was not a deliberate path. I think God chose it for me. Yeah, it's so funny how that happens. We kind of just fall into these places maybe we weren't even expecting. Like, I I don't think I left college expecting to be a therapist, but, you know, things just lead you somewhere and you end up where you end up, right? Um. Sounds like we're gonna have a lot to talk about because I'm I I'm gonna talk about this later, but I kind of mentioned to you that I'm um we recently became the caregivers for my mother-in-law when my father-in-law passed away. So I I think I'll be able to relate to you on some of those things. Yeah. yeah, it's it's such a it's such a big change in your life. It's such a different role. Um and I think a lot of us may have considered the possibility that maybe one day we'll have to care for our parents or some aspect of that, but it really can take us by surprise. It really is a big shift. So what do you think are some things that might be helpful for someone to know as they take on that role? You know, caregiving comes in different ways, your experience as a caregiver. And sometimes it's very sudden. It's the result of an accident or a fall. And all of a sudden your parents or your spouse, you know, they need help in a new way. Other times, and that was in my case, it was more slow and, you know, watching deliberate changes and decline occur and recognizing the need to step in. You know, I wish I could tell everybody to anticipate the role of caregiving, Mm -hmm. not knowing whether you'll be involved as a caregiver or not, but it's just not something we think about in our adult life. To anticipate is to plan. And and to me, the best caregivers understand the uncertainty and the challenges that they don't know. And so you try your best to to make a plan, keep it flexible, be open to change, be open to surprise, and first and foremost, continue to care for yourself and recognize how important you are as the caregiver. My first year at Amazing Place, I had a huge challenge understanding the term caregiver. And I, a lot of people do, you know, I thought of caregiver as somebody who was paid to care for someone. I've come to recognize that family caregiving is a very important role and not one to be diminished in any way as are professional caregivers. I mean, it, takes so many people to care for one individual well. And so, um, you know, I proudly say I'm a family caregiver who could not do my role without professional caregivers helping me. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something you just said there that really struck a chord with me, that paid part, that caregiving is just, you don't know what it is unless you are in that world unless you choose to be in it or you're put in it, like there is just no way of really understanding what it's about. And there's so many choices along the way. And, you know, especially when it's your parents trying to respect them and continue to dignify them as your parents, helping them to to go along with some of the choices that you're making. And give them as much input on these choices 
the role of family caregiver can be so different. I have a, a dear friend who is caring for her mother, who's I think now 96, and she and her sister are kind of co-caregiving. Their mom goes back and forth. Well, she said, my husband really doesn't understand this because both of his parents passed away without ever needing caregiving. Or they had sudden passing. So some people never really experience and others do it for, for decades. Mm-hmm. It's so complex, you know, the caretaking role. And gosh, so my parents are super healthy. They had me when I was younger or when I was younger, when they were younger. <laughs> Obviously, I was young when they had me. Um, when they were younger, my husband's parents had them when they were older, you know. And so my mother-in-law, just to put the story out there, my mother-in-law had an aneurysm in 2005, and she was kind of the the gears of the family. She made everything run. So she had an aneurysm in 2005. My husband, I think, was just out of college, um, and he had just started a new career and gets this phone call that she's in the hospital. She's had this aneurysm. And it just changed. It rocked their world. And my father-in-law, who had worked and traveled for work and was a you know devoted breadwinner of the family, had to rearrange his whole life for her because she could no longer, she lost her you know, peripheral vision. She could no longer drive. Some of her cognitive functioning had been impacted, mostly, you know, frontal lobe kinds of things. Um, you know, she's still wonderful. I think people have conversations with her and don't really realize that there's, that she would even need help sometimes. So it, it like reshaped their whole life. And then the expectation at that point was that my father-in-law would outlive my mother-in-law. Well, then right, you know, gosh, a year before the pandemic started, so two years ago now, uh, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so it just changed the whole, you know, all our expectations shifted of what the rest of our life with my in-laws was going to look like. And now, and he passed away, um, gosh, three weeks three weeks before we shut down for the pandemic. And so we took on that role. Well, really my husband took on that role with his brother of taking care of his mother. And it was just such a emotional shift. It's such a, we just didn't have any expectations. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at is the expectation was that his father would outlive his mother and his father would be fully functioning and able to like be a part of the family and be a grandparent and just be with us. You know, there wasn't an expectation of taking care of his father. But in there, we ended up taking care of two different people with two very different needs. And now the future looks very different to us. And I think when we look at our parents and we think of how they've taken care of us our whole lives, and then we're trying to switch that role, we're seeing them in this vulnerable, fragile state. It's just it's really hard. So I wanted to kind of talk about just the grieving process and the other things that happen and take place within us as we're adjusting to these new roles as caretakers of of these people who took care of us most of our life. You know, it's important to try to grieve gradually throughout. Ongoing process. Mom has dementia and cancer, and she was diagnosed um, with both a month apart around her 86th birthday, we were shocked. The cancer portion, we sort of expected 
the dementia. My grandmother had had it. And so we anticipated that that may be a part of her aging, but had no experience with cancer. So we had these dual diagnoses. And my sister and I, who share caregiving from my mom, have grieved different ways at different times and have continued to support one another in, in that grieving process. I also, and I'm a positive person, so I always find it really helpful to celebrate things along the way as well. You know, you are going through continual losses, so it's important to recognize those and and grieve. I mean, there'll be days when I'm driving along and have a good cry because I recognize that mom, you know, she's not going to be where she is now next year. But I also celebrate those special times. She just had two great granddaughters born this year. And part of that, really wonderful. So it's, you know, the experts will always say, be sure to grieve along the way and, and understand the declines and the deficits. But I personally also feel it's important to to cherish and celebrate along the way. I agree 100%. That's so valuable. I know one of the things that hit my husband the hardest, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this much about him, but the, the thing that hit him the hardest was, you know, we have children. And I think that's another thing that was hard. Like, I think when you, or for me, because like I said, my parents were young, I don't expect that to even be a consideration until my children are grown. We have young children, two and five. And so there's a lot of extra grief in there as far as expectations for what your children's relationship looks like with their grandparents. And that's been a really hard one. And so one of the things that we really put a lot of importance on, mostly because of his mother, because we didn't know this cancer was going to show up, was um, making sure that our kids, as much as we can, have pictures and videos and a relationship with them and cherishing those moments. And I have so many. We have this video. I think it was my oldest. My youngest wasn't born yet. Her second birth or not second Christmas. And all my my brother-in-law, my husband and my father-in-law are all dancing with her to some Christmas music in front of the tree. And it is one of my favorite memories. And it just shows just when you watch it, you can see my father-in-law in it. And it's just so special. And I'm so glad I'm going to choke up a little bit here that we have that, you know, and I think that's what you're talking about having those. I mean, it's so painful already to lose someone and just being able to celebrate those moments and have them in your, in your repertoire to go back to and pull from so valuable. Absolutely. I, I know we lost my dad about six years ago and I remember saving voice messages on mm-hmm. the phone for many years just because it was so comforting to hear his voice. So, you know, cherishing those things and saving them to to return to are, are so special. And your, your generation is much better at doing the spontaneous videos and will have a wonderful collection of those things. Will be precious. Or I have an aunt who, so before technology, she she was always made kind of teased um, because she always had a camcorder before phone, before modern technology got where it is. Like I've got videos from forever 
of me with my grandparents who have passed away. And I cherish those so much. So those people you make fun of because they're always taking videos and pictures, <laughs> you're going to appreciate them one day. As I was saying, so like nothing happens the way we expect it necessarily. Regardless, like even if you know what the outcome is, I think you're talking about my grandmother has dementia also. And you just don't expect the way it looks. You don't expect the way it progresses. It just, it takes you by surprise, even if you know what's happening, I feel like in my personal experience. And I think the grieving is hard, but also figuring out the logistics can be really complicated. You know, my father-in-law and my husband and my brother-in-law talked forever about what taking care of my mother-in-law would look like and still stuff catches us by surprise. And so I think that's really complicated. And I'm wondering if you could give us some tips or some things to think about as far as what's important, what important logistical things should we have in mind when caring for our parents? I think first and foremost, be proactive. Okay. Don't wait. I, I see this all the time. People just waiting till a crisis happens. Good to plan in a crisis. So be proactive, plan for the future. Look out, you know, you know, things are going to change, you know, how they will exactly, but think, always be thinking ahead to the next steps. Yeah. So doing fine now. What happens, you know, what are the financial implications? What are the financial resources we have available to care for this person? You know, do we have the funds to bring people in to help or to take them to daycare or residential care? Explore, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to explore all those things early as possible. Because then when the inevitable crisis happens, you do have a plan in place. I'm also a huge believer in going to the medical appointments Everything changed for me when I started to go, in, and they were not happy, but insisting when both of my parents turned 80 that I was going to their doctor's appointments, and they were mortified. But what I learned in those appointments really helped chart that course, and it made it comfortable when things weren't so wonderful in those doctor's appointments. They were already used to me being there. The other thing that's important is, is understanding how the rest of the family feels. Input, ask their advice, their input, figure out the different roles. You know, if you look at what a family caregiver does, the expansive nature of their role, I mean, you know, they're handling legal documents, booking caregivers, booking appointments, personal care. It is a very big role. And so who can take a piece of this puzzle? And, and you know, there may be somebody who says, I love the financial part. I'll handle all of mom's banking and bills and make sure that she's secure there. And somebody else may say, you know, I'll go to the doctors and I'll be the expert in the medical area. And somebody else may say, I'll help take care of the home while she's still in it. So come together. Family dynamics play a huge role in family caregiving. It's often very difficult. And yeah. so the sooner everybody comes together and realizes that they're going to be a part of it, the better. 
And as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, sibling rivalry. I know it's like the the kids who have sibling rivalry, but it comes up like so much resentment, you know, location, how close they are to the parent depends on how much workload they feel like they're getting. And sometimes some of them can feel really alone. And so I've seen more in my work that sometimes we lose those relationships. We're angry with each other. We end up, you know, disconnecting from our siblings instead of coming together. What do you have? What do you think? I mean, personally, I think just speaking up and like putting it out there and letting people know when you're like, I can't, I need a break or whatever. I think that's so important. But what have you seen and what do you think is helpful in maintaining those relationships? I, you know, open and honest communication. And then when something is not going well, mm-hmm. acknowledge it and get help to work through it. You know, mm-hmm. often bring families all together to work through and help them divide up responsibilities, understand each other's positions. You know, oftentimes families can make it through without that counseling support, but if you get to that point and there's a lot of anger and frustration, do something about it so that the journey can be joyful in in some regards and you can feel the the tremendous sense of fulfillment that comes from family caregiving. I mean, yes, it's very challenging, but there are so many blessings along the way. So I always encourage people to, to look for those blessings, but it's hard to do if you're fighting with your sibling and be real open and honest about the money too. Mm-hmm. The cost of caring for older adults is really staggering. And so understanding you may have to use your resources, your personal resources to care for your parent. And, you know, that's not something people always plan for. Yeah. And the other thing I see with that, just to kind of piggyback off of you, is um, not only financial resources, but just what people's lives look like. I feel like, you know, if one of them, like I said, I have young children, my brother-in-law doesn't. And, you know, and so, and that doesn't really affect my husband and brother-in-law too much. They have a pretty strong foundation in communication and my brother-in-law really wants to help out anyways. But I have seen where it's like, well, just because I don't have kids and you do doesn't mean that I am suddenly the one who has to do everything. And I think that comes up a lot too, this feeling taken for granted, taken advantage of, or not being seen or being undervalued, I think comes up a lot. So I think it's really important to acknowledge where the other people in your family are coming from, what what life might be like for them, even if they don't have the same stressors as you. And everybody brings something different to the caregiving role and all of it's valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And so the contributions of one sibling may be, you know, and I've heard these stories over and over where the sibling who maybe is providing a lot of financial support Mm-hmm. feels like they're carrying the load financially. That's absolutely true. But another sibling may be the one that's over there with mom, you know, three days a week playing cards and having a conversation. That is just as valuable. So valuing every aspect of the role is, is really important. And then, you know, I always think <laughs> do unto others. And so as you care for your parent, think about how you'd like to be cared for. 
Yeah. And, and then as far as that caring, that actually works perfect for my next question, which is this process takes a role in them, a, a toll on them as well. You know, they're losing their autonomy, their, their sense of themselves as a parent, their sense of their role, their sense of what the future is going to look like. And sometimes that can be really challenging, especially really independent parents, you know, that being able to accept what they can and can't do. Um, can be really challenging. How do we help them through that? How do we support them through that? And then how do we deal with, you know, resistance when they're trying to do things that maybe aren't the safest for them to be doing? Helping them deal with the losses is to listen, validate, acknowledge to the best of our ability, the feelings they're having. My mom on many occasions saying, you just don't understand what it's like to lose your home and to have to move in and no car. And I said, you're right. I I have not been there, but you're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And I admire your strength and, and your perseverance through all of this. So just validating and then, you know, praising Using how they're adapting, because it is really challenging. Maintaining that the stance of dignity with them. I think if you always honor your father and mother and, and give them respect and dignity, they feel that. Margaret Mandy, who was the one of the founders of Amazing Place and also executive director for a long time. She said, Tracy, never discount the emotions of someone with dementia. Not be able to react or respond in a way that makes sense to you, but they feel everything. Make sure that you are always approaching them with dignity and respect. That is a big topic. Resistance. Oh, taking the keys away is a big one. And what we often do here and what I've done in my personal life is get a lot of support and and be a team with your physician, very resistant to, I mean, she was not going to give up the keys, right? I worked with the physician and we actually ended up taking my mom to a special driving school to be evaluated, gave her, you know, a written report that basically said, nope can't drive anymore. And then we had that document. So when the topic came up a month later, three months later, a year later, we were like, here's the report. This is why. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't me always saying you can't drive and being the terrible one. I called in experts to help. And I think partnering with with a physician on some of those things can make a big difference. My mom, when it was it became clear, she, you know, my dad had had passed away and she was living on her own for a year and it became clear that was not going to work anymore. I partnered with the doctor to help, help those choices become <laughs> apparent. And the doctor basically said, you may not live alone anymore. Choices, your daughter's offered. For you to move into their home, or we have to look for other residential options, you know. And so, you got to be part of a team, pulling friends, pulling your siblings, physicians to to work through those tricky issues. And I think that, well, something you said earlier, I want to go back to is having 
well, A, having a good medical team, like having medical doctors you can talk to that are willing to do that. And if not, find another one because it makes it so much easier. And my husband did the same thing where he started going to the doctor's appointments or got the doctor to agree to be on speakerphone so he could at least hear. And I was listening to a caregiver podcast the other day and she was like, I just had my sister record it so we could all be on the same page. We could all have the information. And then let them be, yeah, let them be the bad guy. You don't have to be the bad guy. You can be the one helping your parent grieve. And so I think all of that is so valuable and important. Now, you're talking about how um, sometimes remaining in the home isn't an option anymore. And I know most people want to. I've heard people say that um, that's their wish is to stay in the home, to, you know, pass away in their home, to live out their years in their home can be an issue because of affordability. You have no, I had no idea how much getting caregivers in the home that you trust would be. That was such a process. And then recognizing how hard that is for the people who have the caregivers. You know, with my grandmother, before she passed away, having caregivers, it's, it's a whole trust thing. You're letting people in your lives and you don't know what they're doing. You're giving up privacy. You're giving up a lot to stay in your home with these caregivers. And there's safety concerns. There's general isolation. There's, gosh, there's predators out there. I remember when I was first in practice, there was a woman she had her savings just wiped out by a predator who called her house and said, um, gosh, what were they saying? Some big, I don't know what it was, something like phones. I don't remember. But she just gave them a ton of money and she, they kept calling for more money and she just thought that that was real. And it was just these scam artists. So there's these predators feeding. I mean, it is just really hard to stay in the home. But most people want to stay in their home. So what I'm going to ask is, how do we know when it's time to look into a residential community? And how do we broach that conversation? You know, it, it's tricky. And again, if you're being proactive and you're looking ahead, you're gathering the information you need to start that process. So, yes, everyone always, not always, but I would say 90% of people say, I want to age in place at home. Mm -hmm. fine here and I'm safe and I understand and all of that it, I believe it becomes clear when it's no longer safe and you have to put safety whether it's from predators from falls not managing medications not hydrating or getting enough nutrition not being able to keep up with the activities of daily living I mean there are so many things so Having your medical team help to identify, do, doing, you know, um, a lot of the along the way to see how folks are doing. And then from a family perspective, what are the options? I, I remember a participant we had here many years ago had 12 children. Uh -huh. He alternated three months with each child. And not all of them were in Houston, but they were all involved in the care. And while mom was, you know, able to move, that's what they wanted to do. So how many siblings are involved? How many are willing to have mom come live with them? And sometimes the answer is no one's able to. They don't have the space or the setup. So then you you look at the, the options of in-home care. And it's not only the cost, but it's the management also. 
So there's a great, you know, depending on resources, geriatric care managers can be very helpful in working through and managing the caregivers for a family if they live out of town or um, are unable to. I think it's important to understand your parents' wishes and have those conversations when it's not a crisis. So you get their feelings and you, and you can even talk about, mom, if if this is not possible, mm-hmm. feel about this and how do you feel about that? And so often children are reluctant to take the necessary steps to keep their family members safe because they want to honor their wishes. But sometimes you have to step in for their safety and and it's that role reversal. And over time, I believe parents, they may not like it at first, but when they understand that their quality of life gets is better and they're safer, and oftentimes they relax and appreciate it. Being very honest, it is not easy to say to a parent, I'm sorry you can't drive anymore. I'm sorry we're moving you into a facility. And we have to allow the positive and the negative to come out and process that that with them. And learn compassion and use compassion and recognize when you can't, this is going to bring us into our next question, when you can't, that that might be a sign. If you can't access compassion, you might be burnt out. That's probably the biggest topic when I look into, because I'm a joiner, I, I need communities. So when my father-in-law got sick, I joined all the pancreatic cancer caretaker communities. Like I'm, I'm in them all. But one of the things that comes up the most, I would say daily, if not more, um, is caregiver fatigue and burnout. And, you know, especially with caregivers who are also managing jobs and their own families and under immense amounts of stress all around. How do you keep an eye out for that? How do you notice that? What can you do to set it off? How do you watch it in each other? If you're in a you know family where you can, you guys have each other's support, how do you look for it with each other? You know, professionally here at Amazing Place, from the very first visit, we are assessing the caregiver and how they are doing in the journey. And we are with them all along. Mm-hmm. And we watch for changes that could indicate caregiver burnout, but we also hope to serve them with that degree of compassion so they feel comfortable sharing when they have to have a break. Social workers are great at offering options for short-term respite, or we have the resources to provide them with additional caregiving help. When you're in a family, is so much of it depends on the dynamics of the family. Modeling and sharing how you're feeling. If you're the primary or the secondary, this is hard. I'm not doing well. I'm exhausted. I need your help and I need a break. Is the wise and powerful thing to do. Feels weak to, to admit it, but you're really not. What you're doing is caring for yourself so that you can continue to care for your loved one. It is a marathon caregiving. It is not a sprint. And if you approach it like a sprint, you'll burn out really quick. We have someone I know whose mother had Alzheimer's for 23 years. I mean, that is a long marathon, right? And 
you're aging also and you're going through through life too and so you have to take care of yourself in the best way possible take breaks for yourself um you know make sure that you continue to to lead a life that is meaningful and purposeful and and includes relaxation and the ability to recharge because when you were talking about your father-in-law, I was thinking about how often and how tragic it is that caregivers will often pass away for the person they're caring for. Mm-hmm. It's staggering. I, I, I never remember the exact statistic, but it's 80% or higher. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is due to the stress. Um, my grandfather was a um, very successful businessman. And when my grandmother got dementia, he didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. and kept it hidden from neighbors, family, friends, and took on the role of caregiver. And the stress was so great that he died of a heart attack, just boom, one day. And that was a great lesson to me that as strong as he thought he was being, it, the direction it was doing inside of him was great. So we just have to ask for help. And I love that you said recharge. What recharges you? I think that's so important because a lot of people are just like, oh, I just need a break. And they'll just go where they don't have to think about it for a moment. But when they go back, all that exhaustion is still there. And so I always advise you, I'm like, what charges you? What gives you energy? Find those things. Go to those things for your breaks. Figure out what's going to fuel you because you, just because you're on empty and you stop the car doesn't mean the car fills up. Very wise. I love that. Well, because we do. And the other thing, you know, that, that caregiver thing in, I think this is becoming more global, but it's definitely a United States phenomenon of we go it alone. We do it alone. We're moms alone where we, you know. Everything alone, everything, I I can handle it all. This is my life. This is what's handed to me and I have to handle it myself. And I've never believed in that. I've always been the village person. I'm like, nope, you live in a village. You exist in a village. Find a village. Because we can't. We just can't. We need support. People need help. We all do. And if it feels hard, that means it's something courageous and strong to do. So if it feels hard to ask for help, you are being strong and courageous and people want to help you. And so I really encourage people to reach out. I'm a huge fan of intergenerational living, not only in the same household, but in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you have young people and old people and middle age and children and everyone's living together, there's a vibrancy and a supportive nature to neighborhoods. And I think as the population continues to age, looking to being in vibrant communities is really important. We don't yeah. isolation, we all know, especially from the pandemic, how harmful social isolation is. Yeah, it's awful. Um, and you know, we're moving so far away, and this is kind of off topic, but I think it's related. Um, we're moving away from I'm the person, I'm the weird person in my neighborhood that when someone moves in, I go over with a baked good and introduce myself because I want to know my neighbors. Like I grew up in a neighborhood where neighbors knew each other and I want that. And I think without it, 
you know, we watch out for each other's homes. We watch out for each other's kids. We know where these kids belong. They don't just get lost. And we have no idea this child wandering, you know, around. That's never happened. But I just, <laughs> as an aside, um, but we need the communities. We need them at every level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this. This has been wonderful. I was wondering, is there anything that you would like to say as like a final thought before uh, we end today? When you asked about telling me how you got into this uh, journey of professional caregiving, I will tell you that in the 16 years I've been involved professionally, I have really come to recognize how how important and how valuable being a caregiver is in someone's life. And so as difficult as it is, try to try to embrace it and cherish it and know that you are making a really significant impact in someone's life. You're there for a reason. You didn't pick this. There because of a relationship. So value it, take care of yourself, and just appreciate the special times and the things that you are contributing to someone's life. And I'll add to that, if you know someone who's a caregiver, let them know how valuable you see that for them and how amazing you think they are for doing that, for being able to put their heart out there like that and put their energy out there and their resources and really commit to taking care of another person. It's, it's pretty incredible. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. This has been wonderful. I so appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you. I've just loved visiting with you, Tracy. And it's been super luck on your journey. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music, Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.